0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of sex, murder, and suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: In the early morning hours of January 1st, 1963, a mysterious figure stood trembling next to a swampy river. At his feet, was the corpse of Dr. Gilbert Bogle, laying face down, half naked in the dirt.
0: The man's instincts told him to run, but he couldn't leave a dead body on the trail like this, exposed for anyone to see. He scrounged along the riverbank until he found a piece of
1: discarded carpet draped it over Dr. Bogle's body. Then he arranged the scientist's suit jacket and pants neatly over the torso and legs.
0: When he was done, he moved to another body, Margaret Chandler, who lay perhaps a hundred feet away. She was face up, her breasts partially exposed. The man placed a cardboard beer case over her.
1: When he finished, he was shaking. Had anyone seen him?
0: He glanced once more at his handiwork and then disappeared down the trail. He knew he was living on borrowed time. One slip-up and he be put away for murder.
1: This is Unsolved Murder's True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
0: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
1: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify.
0: This is our final episode on the Bogle Chandler case that scandalized Sydney, Australia. Last week, we
1: dug into the lives of Gilbert Bogle and Margaret Chandler. A nighttime tryst led to their deaths on New Year's Eve, 1962.
0: This week, We'll cover the investigation, which spanned decades and produced some wild theories about who, or what, killed the two young lovers. From CIA
1: assassination plots to vicious love triangles, the investigation exposed a tangled web of intriguing theories that titillated people across Australia. The results of the case would change their society forever.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: New Year's Day, 1963. Sergeant Arthur Andrews manned the Chatswood police station on the north side of Sydney. So far that morning, things had been quiet.
0: There were the usual holiday shenanigans, noise complaints, a few drunk drivers, kids getting into mischief, nothing serious.
1: But it wouldn't be quiet for long. At 9:10 a.m., Sergeant Andrews received a frantic call. A Lane Cove National Park employee named Jeffrey Little reported that some teenage boys had discovered a dead body in the woods.
0: Sergeant Andrews sprinted out of the station, jumped into his car and sped two miles to the Lane Cove River Park. He followed Mr. Little and the boys about 200 feet down the trail.
1: The corpse was exactly how the teens described it, laying face down in the dirt, arms out at his sides, The face was bluish purple, covered with a gray suit.
0: Sergeant Andrews knelt down to confirm the man was actually dead. For all he knew, he could have been sleeping off a New Year's Eve hangover. But there was no mistaking it. He was cold and pale. Rigor mortis had already set in.
1: Yet there was something strange about the scene. It seemed almost staged. The suit was draped neatly over the man's body and under that was a square section of carpet. It would have been nearly impossible for a dying man to do that to himself.
0: Even stranger, as far as Sergeant Andrews could see, there were no signs of violence. No cuts, bruises, ligature marks, or gunshot wounds. Andrews rummaged through
1: the man's pockets and found a wallet. The dead man was Dr. Gilbert Bogle. THE Dr. Bogle, the prominent scientist, Andrews hurried back to his car and radioed for detectives.
0: Officers arrived within minutes. Little did they know, they were about to discover something that would change Australia forever. I don't know why they have us searching so far
2: upriver. The guy died over there.
0: The killer might have left something behind. A coffee cup, cigarette, maybe a weapon. Oh, come on, give me a break.
3: You're only trying to impress the sergeant. Just
0: keep your eyes peeled, will you?
3: Oh my god. Sarge, there's another one down here. She's still warm. And she's covered up, too. Same as him. Yeah, she couldn't have done this to herself. Someone must have killed them both. Definitely how it looks.
0: Look if there's a purse or something.
2: I don't see anything.
3: Maybe it's his wife, a girlfriend. How do we idea? her?
0: Sarge will know what to do.
1: Police had to determine who the woman was and their first stop was Dr. Bogle's house.
0: When Vivian Bogle greeted them at the door, they realized the partially naked woman at the river couldn't have been his wife. It was going to be a tough mystery to untangle.
1: After breaking the news that her husband had been found dead, police asked Vivian a delicate question. A woman was found with him. Did she have any idea who it could be?
0: Vivian didn't know, but she told police where her husband had been that night, a party at Ken Nash's home. Armed with that
1: knowledge, police raced back across town to a house not far from the river.
0: When Ken and Ruth Nash answered the door, police must have seen evidence of the previous night's festivities inside. Empty bottles and garbage scattered everywhere.
1: Officers confirmed with the Nashes that Dr. Bogle had attended their party. Then they asked a looming question. Had they seen a young woman in a floral dress?
0: The Nashes likely knew exactly who they meant. Dr. Bogle left the party with a woman matching that description. Mrs. Margaret Chandler.
1: Meanwhile, back at the river, the police weren't the only ones investigating. Newspaper reporters, who regularly monitored police radio traffic, heard about the bodies and swarmed the park.
0: Some of the journalists may not have been prepared for the intensity of the scene. Bill Jenkins, from Sydney's Daily Mirror, noted that when he arrived, he was overcome by the overpowering stench of death.
1: And yet, the smell didn't seem to stop reporters from uncovering valuable details about the case. We don't know how they connected the dots, but it didn't take long for them to discover the names of the victims.
0: While the papers raced to get the story in their afternoon editions, the police were still reconstructing what happened.
1: Since Margaret's body was still relatively warm and rigor mortis hadn't set in, she must have died more recently. They just didn't know when. The exact details would have to be confirmed by experts.
0: Experts like the coroner, J.J. Looms. He was a veteran, but a case like this was a rare challenge. He needed the body back at the morgue so he could begin his investigation as soon as possible.
3: Someone give me an update on those bodies. They're on the way, sir. They wanted to bag all the evidence. They found vomit at the scene. Vomitus? And no signs of physical violence? No, sir. Interesting. I'll have a look myself when the bodies arrive, but it sounds to me like we'll test for poisoning.
1: While Looms wanted to take a more scientific approach to finding the killer, the police had their own methods. They already had a suspect in mind, and they weren't going to wait for any tests.
0: They knew the killer was usually a jealous husband in cases like this, and that set their sights on one person.
1: Coming up, The police face a shocking disappointment.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story.
0: On January 1st, 1963... The Sydney police were hunting for Gilbert Bogle and Margaret Chandler's killer. They knew that when a woman is murdered, one of the most likely perpetrators is a family member or intimate partner.
1: In this case, detectives thought the signs pointed to Jeffrey Chandler, Margaret's husband. At one that afternoon, officers
0: arrived at his front door. When Jeffrey answered, he likely looked tired and disheveled. According to him, he had just fallen asleep He had been awake all night, partying.
1: That didn't matter to police. They brought him right to the station.
0: They sat him in the interrogation room and let him sweat for a while. On the other side of the door, officers speculated.
3: That guy was married to her? With that scruffy beard?
2: You know what they say. You can't help who you fall in love with.
3: Yeah, well, too bad for her. She got hitched to a hippie beatnik.
2: He might not be a total hippie. He worked with Bogle.
3: Yeah, Bogle was messing around with his wife. Sounds like motive to me.
1: Once they were in the room with Jeffrey, detectives asked him point blank if he knew where his wife was.
0: Jeffrey responded that he didn't. He may have seemed legitimately confused. What was he supposed to say? That Margaret left the party with another man?
1: To try and get him to talk, detectives slid an afternoon edition of the local newspaper across the table On the front page was a story about a local scientist and a woman found dead. His wife, Margaret.
0: Jeffrey later recalled that he knew the detectives were trying to gauge his reaction. They probably didn't give him much time to think. They demanded to know where he had been the previous night and when he had seen Margaret last, alive or dead.
1: Jeffrey recounted the events of the Nash's New Year's party, Then his trip to get cigarettes, which he admitted had actually been a cover for a different New Year's party in Balmain, roughly 25 minutes away from Ken Nash's neighborhood.
0: At some point, he explained that he had a witness who could back up his story. The only problem was that she was his lover.
1: At the time, in polite Australian society, affairs were taboo and shunned. Of course, they still happened in secret, but no one spoke about them publicly. Now, that was all about to change.
0: Jeffrey told them his lover's name was Pamela Logan. According to him, the affair was an amicable arrangement between him and Margaret. Officers likely wondered if that was really true. After all, if Margaret had wanted Jeffrey to end his relationship with Pamela, that would give him a motive to kill her. But then Jeffrey told them that Margaret was
1: interested in Dr. Bogle and that he was okay with it. They had an understanding. He explained that he left the party around 4 a.m. without Margaret and Dr. Bogle had agreed to take her home.
0: Jeffrey stated that he arrived at Pamela's around 4.35 a.m. About an hour later, the two of them went to fetch the Chandler children from Margaret's mother's house.
1: With the children in the car, Jeffrey and Pamela drove back to Pamela's home, where they ate breakfast. He took the boys back to his place around 10 a.m. At that point, he fell asleep and didn't wake up until the police banged on his door.
0: The story was tough to take at face value. Had he really agreed to let another man take his wife home? It could have been an excuse to get him off the hook.
1: Still, Jeffrey's tale seemed to account for his whereabouts. The police had no justification to hold him at the moment. They would have to talk to Pamela Logan.
0: While officers checked Jeffrey's alibi, J.J. Looms flicked on the cold fluorescent lights of the Sydney Morgue. He and his team of pathologists and toxicologists began the autopsies.
1: First, they confirmed the times of death. Gilbert had died sometime between 5.30 and 6 in the morning. Margaret died later, between 6 and 6.30.
0: It might seem like a minor detail, but it was a crucial piece of evidence to tie the murderer to the scene. Once that was established, the investigators turned to the cause of death.
1: As police noted at the scene, there was no evidence of a violent physical attack. Though Margaret's nose had been scraped, It appeared she'd sustained the injury from stumbling around disoriented.
0: Besides that, the two of them had no other marks, bruises, cuts, or other signs of a struggle. Looms and his team then turned to the next logical cause of death, poison.
1: They had to determine what substance might have killed them. So they searched the bodies for needle marks and examined their mouths, stomachs, and gastrointestinal tracts, or telltale signs of certain chemicals.
0: Pathologists put the blood and organs through a battery of tests, looking for every imaginable toxin and poison. When the results came in, they weren't what the scientists expected.
3: All right, what sort of poison are we looking at? Arsenic, strychnine? Maybe something a little more exotic, aconitine, polonium even? Sorry, sir, we haven't been able to identify it yet. Well, what do you mean? Blood tests have all come back negative. You tested the stomach, liver, spleen, kidneys? Yes, even the brain and intestines. Impossible. We have the evidence, vomitus from the scene. I don't know what to tell you, sir. The tests don't lie. Well, someone is. Keep testing, widen the net, test them for everything. I don't care if it's aspirin. We need to find this poison. Loom's
1: team left no stone unturned. They tore apart the Chandlers' home looking for possible chemicals and searched Gilbert's lab at CSIRO.
0: They even visited Ken Nash's house, where they confiscated glasses, bottles, punch bowls, and anything else that could have been spiked with poison at the New Year's party.
1: When all of those yielded nothing, the forensic team hired an arachnologist, a spider expert, To check the bodies for suspicious bite marks and scour the crime scene for creepy crawlers.
0: It may seem far-fetched, but Australia is home to several types of poisonous insects. For example, the bite of the Sydney funnel-web spider can be highly lethal. But after an exhaustive search for signs of deadly critter bites, the arachnologist came up empty-handed.
1: Across town, the police investigation was hitting a dead end too. Jeffrey's lover, Pamela Logan, confirmed his whereabouts throughout the night.
0: Even more compelling, multiple witnesses remembered seeing Jeffrey driving his vintage Vauxhall automobile at various locations around the city that night. All of the sightings were far from the scene of the crime. It was such a distinctive car that people couldn't have missed it.
1: It seemed Jeffrey would be a tough suspect to break. Even though his timeline checked out, Police believe that with diabolical planning, there was a chance someone in disguise could have driven his car.
0: Investigators weren't giving up, they just needed to turn up the heat a little. For that, they called Jeffrey down to the morgue. They led him into the cavernous belly of an autopsy room, packed with police and detectives, in its center on a cold steel slab was his wife's pale corpse.
1: Much like his earlier interrogation, Jeffrey remained unemotional on the surface. Detective Ronald Rudgeley described him as completely blasé, which for the police seemed to confirm his guilt. This was their guy.
0: But officers still had two problems. One, Jeffrey's alibi, and two, They still didn't have any evidence. They'd have to keep looking or find another suspect altogether. Unlike
1: the police, Australian newspapers didn't need evidence to convict Geoffrey in the court of public opinion. They branded him a killer and made sure to emphasize his communist free-love anti-establishment leanings.
0: Perhaps it was bad luck for Jeffrey that the case coincided with a battle between two Sydney tabloid newspapers, The Sun and the Daily Mirror. To these
1: publications, this wasn't just a simple murder case. It was their ticket to more readers. The story checked off all the boxes: sex, communists, murder, and a crazy who done it.
0: They ran sensational unsubstantiated headlines about Jeffrey Margaret and Gilbert They claimed the lovers were part of a cult and speculated whether they were poisoned by strychnine. The Sun even published photos of Margaret's floral dress, calling it her death dress.
1: But on January 5th, four days after the deaths, everything changed. An anonymous man called the police claiming to have been at the river that morning. He reported that he saw someone near the spot where Gilbert and Margaret were found. Police convinced the caller to come down to the station to make an official statement. When he arrived, he identified himself as Raymond Chalice.
0: During the interrogation, Chalice admitted that he was a voyeur. He claimed to have seen Gilbert and Margaret arrive at the park that morning. It seemed like this was the break police were hoping for. This could be their guy.
1: But after extensive questioning they determined Chalice couldn't be involved. They believed that, at the very least, he couldn't have covered the bodies in the
0: manner they had been, because he only had one arm. Meanwhile, back at the morgue, the pressure was on looms to announce the cause of death. There was likely political and media pressure to solve the crime so that everyone, especially the families of the deceased, could get closure. So,
1: as was custom in Australia for high-profile cases like this, Looms opened a coroner's inquest.
0: On May 7th, 1963, a little over four months after the deaths, Looms called the proceedings to order. From the onset, it was a press circus. Reporters jammed the room demanding to take photos of evidence.
1: They hung on every word as Looms and his team attempted to recreate the events leading up to the deaths, and re-interviewed everyone who had seen the lovers that night, including
3: Ken Nash. Mr. Nash, can you tell us how you knew the deceased, Dr. Bogle? He was a co-worker and, and a good friend. And how did Dr. Bogle seem on the evening of December 31st? He seemed fine. No signs of poisoning, nausea, sweating, disorientation? Uh, Not that I saw. And did you know Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler were having an affair? That's no one's business. In fact, it is my business, Mr. Nash, because it may have gotten Dr. Bogle killed. Dr. Bogle was a charming man. Many people gave him attention, including Mrs. Chandler. So they were having an affair. I never witnessed them consummate their relationship, but they were
0: friendly friendly i think we all know what you mean by that the inquest went on for weeks and seemed to put every aspect of gilbert and margaret's lives under the microscope it even brought in an unexpected witness
3: can you state your name for the record
0: margaret fowler
3: and your relation to the deceased miss fowler
2: dr bogle and i were lovers
1: Strangely, only moments after Margaret Fowler took the stand, she was dismissed, and the coroner claimed her testimony wasn't relevant to the case.
0: Looms and the state went on to question 50 witnesses, review 63 pieces of evidence, and transcribe 762 pages of testimony over the next two months. In
1: the end, Looms stood in front of the crowd and said this.
3: It gives me no satisfaction to sit here and tell you that all we know about this is that two people died from acute circulatory failure, the cause of which
0: is unknown. In other words, a heart attack. All the coroner's officers could come up with was that two healthy individuals, one 38, the other 28, died of heart attacks within minutes of each other. It was an unsatisfactory conclusion for everyone involved.
1: Even worse, the lack of conclusive findings opened the door to more speculation, rumors, and conspiracy theories.
0: Rumors started to swirl that perhaps this wasn't a murder driven by jealousy, but an assassination.
1: Coming up, a potential CIA conspiracy. Now back
0: to the story. In the early part of 1963, at the same time the Bogle-Chandler case was making headlines across Australia, the Cold War was raging. Only a
1: few months earlier, the Cuban Missile Crisis had put everyone on high alert. It felt like nuclear war could break out at any moment.
0: There were reports of Soviet spies infiltrating Western companies, governments, and defense contractors, and the newspapers seemed to peddle the theories with abandon.
3: All right folks, evening edition deadline coming up. What do we have on the crime
0: beat?
1: We're running a story on a string of burglaries near the opera house. Thieves seem to be targeting
3: tourists.
0: What happened to the Bogle Chandler case?
3: Story looks cold, boss. No such thing as a cold story, as long as you can find another angle. And we struck out with the jealous husband plotting girlfriend, even the peeping Tom. How about a dispute with a coworker? Sorry boss, everyone seemed to love him. Well, he worked at CSIRO, right? Yes ma'am.
0: There you go. CSIRO is into all kinds of chemicals, secret R&D. Find me something there. Fast.
3: The
1: media dug into Gilbert's work at CSIRO. His research on cryogenics and masers, or lasers run on electromagnetic waves, was almost too perfect to print. It seemed like it was ripped from the latest James Bond film.
0: Even more juicy was his upcoming job at Bell Laboratories in the U.S. Bell was widely known to have defense contracts, and in preparation, Gilbert had to be vetted by the FBI.
1: Rumors spread that Gilbert was tied to the CIA. From there, the Daily Mirror suggested that he might have been assassinated by Soviet operatives to stop his research on masers
0: getting to the Americans. According to the Mirror, instead of Gilbert and Margaret slipping down to the river for a steamy rendezvous, it was actually a spy mission. Gilbert might have been training Margaret as a new agent.
1: Then the newspapers teased in the middle of the operation they could have been ambushed by KGB agents and poisoned. Afterward, the bodies
0: were staged to make it look like an affair. When that unfounded theory ran dry, The papers tried the opposite story. In the newest version, Gilbert was actually a communist agent. And before he could infiltrate Bell Labs in the US, he was taken out by the CIA. The theories may
1: sound laughable now, but at the height of the Cold War and Red Scare, anything seemed possible. And the Sydney tabloids weren't the only source of titillating content about the case.
0: In the months and years that followed the deaths, Multiple tell-all books were written by guests at the Nash's New Year's Eve party. Many claimed that they had new insight into what killed Gilbert and Margaret.
1: Even Jeffrey Chandler got in on the game. In 1969, six years following the murders, he wrote a book entitled So You Think I Did It.
0: After the hysteria of the tell-all book subsided, news about the case tapered off. Heading into the 1970s, headlines became less frequent. Occasionally, there were new rumors, especially on the anniversary of the deaths. But all in all, things quieted down. Wounds were allowed to heal. Then,
1: in 1996, those scars were ripped open. This time, new toxicology tests provided a fresh angle of speculation. According to news outlets... Gilbert and Margaret's blood tested positive for the hallucinogen LSD.
0: In the 90s, with J.J. Loom's long since retired, a new generation of Australian forensic scientists wondered about the Bogle-Chandler case. Some of them heard about a cutting-edge lab in the U.S. that could detect trace amounts of LSD.
1: So they shipped a preserved sample of Margaret and Gilbert's tissue there, the American lab couldn't find anything in the samples, but that didn't seem to matter to the Sydney newspapers. According to them, Bogle and Chandler tested positive, and it was enough to begin a whole new theory of speculation.
0: When Gilbert and Margaret died, LSD was a relatively new drug. At the time, many thought its use was limited to hippies and counterculturists. But it was also a hallucinogen of choice among pioneering scientists.
1: Many speculated that Gilbert, a high-ranking physicist at CSIRO, may have had access to the chemical. Perhaps he wanted to experiment with his new lover and they overdosed.
0: Even if that wasn't the case, there were plenty of new theories and speculations. Maybe Jeffrey Chandler got a hold of some LSD and spiked the punch at the Nash's party. Or it could have been Chandler's girlfriend, Pamela Logan, trying to clear the way for herself. By that logic, it also might have been Margaret Fowler, or another of Gilbert's old flames.
1: It's worth pointing out that J.J. Looms and his team had tested for LSD during their initial investigation, but his results were also negative.
0: The LSD theory was groundbreaking because it finally put a name to the possible drug or poison that killed Gilbert and Margaret.
1: But in the end, it left more questions than answers. But it wasn't the last time an exotic toxin would be linked to the case.
0: In 2006, Australian writer and investigator Peter Butt produced a documentary called Who Killed Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler? It presented two potential explanations for the case's biggest mysteries.
1: According to the film, there is evidence supporting the theory that Gilbert and Margaret were covered by a greyhound trainer named Eddie Batiste. Eddie frequently used the trail along the river to get to the golf course where he would train his racing dogs, a practice that was illegal.
0: On the morning of January 1st, 1963, the dogs may have caught the scent of the bodies and stopped to sniff around. If so, Eddie likely would have followed and become the first person to discover the bodies.
1: Peter Butt speculates that it was Eddie who draped Gilbert's frame with the carpet and gray suit before concealing Margaret with the flattened cardboard box.
0: If it had been him, it does make you wonder why he didn't call the authorities yet couldn't stand to leave Gilbert and Margaret lying on the ground, half-naked.
1: Ironically, in 1963, police had questioned Batiste after his car was identified near the river that morning, but Batiste denied ever seeing the corpses. Not long after that, police cleared him.
0: But even more significant than who covered the bodies, Peter Butt's documentary announced that he had solved the case of who, or what, had killed Gilbert and Margaret. According to the film, the murderer was none other than Lane Cove River itself.
1: Peter Butt contended that the stream wasn't the idyllic place it appeared to be. It was polluted by industrial waste upstream. Besides that, decaying leaves from mangrove trees along the banks decomposed, causing gas bubbles in the mud and
0: muck. For years, people reported the smell of rotten eggs along the river, and there were mass deaths of fish. Both are evidence of toxic gas bubbles of hydrogen sulfide.
1: In low concentrations, the gas has the distinctive smell of rotten eggs or sulfur. But in high enough doses, high enough to kill a person, the gas is odorless to humans, in part because it actually paralyzes the victim's olfactory nerves causing them to lose their sense of smell.
0: Once that happens, the gas goes to work on the central nervous system, causing disorientation, nausea, and eventually death.
1: Another key characteristic of hydrogen sulfide gas is that it's heavier than ambient air. So it settles to the ground, especially on calm, cool mornings like that of January 1st, 1963.
0: That day, as Gilbert Bogle and Margaret Chandler reclined along the riverbank to make love, a giant bubble of hydrogen sulfide may have erupted on the river.
1: At first, they may have noticed a passing odor, but after that, they wouldn't have smelled anything until it was too late.
3: Mm, Wait, Gib, do you smell something?
2: Just your intoxicating perfume.
3: Not that. It smells like... Rotten eggs.
0: Probably
2: just dead fish in the river.
0: The odor that Margaret might have noticed was hydrogen sulfide. After that, as they lay down in the dry leaves, kissing passionately, ripping off each other's clothes, the gas could have crept in around them,
1: unnoticed. Within moments, they would have felt dizzy and nauseous. As the toxin dug deeper into their brains, Acute symptoms would have set in, vomiting and defecation. They might have stumbled away, disoriented, trying to escape whatever was sickening them.
0: That likely explained how they ended up a hundred feet apart. Gilbert scrambled up to the trail and collapsed, vomiting only a few inches from his face. Margaret, in a state of delirium, crashed through the mangrove branches, cutting her nose and muddying her knees and legs.
1: Somehow, Gilbert succumbed to the gas quicker. He was the first to die, which Sergeant Andrews noticed when he arrived on the scene. By that point, Gilbert's body had long since gone cold and rigor mortis had set in.
0: Since Margaret's body was still warm when police discovered her, that may indicate that the gas took longer to kill her. A truly gruesome prospect.
1: This is only one theory, and it's unconfirmed. At first glance, it may seem pretty far-fetched, but it's actually supported by Loom's initial coroner's report. He noted Gilbert and Margaret's blood had a strange purple hue, a telltale marker for hydrogen sulfide poisoning. At that time, however, it wasn't considered a viable option and wasn't investigated.
0: You may be thinking that if their blood was tested for LSD in 1996, there must be samples to check for hydrogen sulfide as well. And there are. But unfortunately, the toxic gas dissipates too quickly in blood and tissue, so it's impossible to test conclusively for it.
1: That means we don't know for sure what led to Gilbert and Margaret's deaths. But many people now believe hydrogen sulfide is the most logical cause. It might not have been a murderer, a jealous lover, or a KGB assassin. It could have just been the river.
0: It's a strange twist in a case that polarized Australia for decades. Today, the case remains officially unsolved. There's no way to know for sure who or what killed Gilbert Bogle and Margaret Chandler. But who knows? There may be more
1: evidence, witnesses, or some other explanation out there waiting to be discovered.
0: Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode.
1: For more information on the Bogle-Chandler case, amongst the many sources we used, we found Peter Butts' documentary and book, Who Killed Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time.
1: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our Head of Programming is Julian bois Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our Head of Production and Quality Control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Stacey Nemec is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unsolved Murders is written by Adam De Silva, edited by Sarah Batchelor and Tara Wells, fact-checked by Cheyenne Lopez, researched by Mickey Taylor, produced by Aaron Larson, Joshua Kern, and Juan Borda, and sound designed by Carrie Murphy. It stars Marcy Edwards, Joe Hernandez, Julian Smith, Rebecca Thomas, and Laith Walschlager. Our hosts are Wendy McKenzie and me, Carter Roy.